0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: We're excited to partner with TAC, the only unified platform for reservations, takeout, and event management. TAC is home to 7,000 restaurants, bars, wineries, and breweries. Switch to talk today to increase your revenue and reach millions of loyal and engaged guests around the country. We first planned to chat with James and Jessica just a few weeks ago on August 3rd, the day before they opened. Note to self, Jenny, while it's enticing to get a (laughs) firsthand account of the finish line, we probably shouldn't schedule a podcast the day before the restaurant opens. (laughs) <laughs> they might have a few other things to wrap up. Luckily, we are able to get another go at hearing your opening story.
2: So after nearly a year of looking for spaces, chef James Martin and his wife, Jessica Neal, opened their dream restaurant, Bocadillo Market, on August 4th, the day after our initial (laughs) recording date. Um, But we're so happy to have them here today. It's located in Lincoln Park, Chicago. Um, James has been a chef for over 10 years, working in fine dining from Washington, D.C. to Chicago, while Jessica lends her decade plus of experience in communications and marketing to this awesome project. Welcome to the show, guys welcome thank you for having us
1: yeah
3: thank you we're excited to be here
2: so you have a unique concept um it's not you know just your average cafe or or restaurant tell us a little bit about um about the concept and the inspiration behind it
3: um yeah i mean bocadillo market is this it's a a neighborly concept that's inspired by the ingredients of spain um and this really has a lot of soulful heartwarming cuisine that's really just seasonal Um, but really the foundation of the concept is the bocadillo and the paellas and then we just built beautiful dishes around the menu that really kind of complement those items Um, and then we ultimately decided to start bocadillo market because we love markets. We my Jessica loves coffee. Like I think she probably loves coffee more than she loves me.
0: Aww, and, no. <laughs> and,
3: and and um you know, I think it just made sense, you know, when you when you travel, we traveled to Spain when we first got married and I think it just makes sense for an all day spot, you know, that kind of it complements the the culture of Spain, um, coffee. A light pastry program in the morning, and then the bocadillos for lunch, and then a full service dinner at night that highlights the the wine and the food and the ambiance and the energy. And we just wanted to create a humble concept that really <clears throat> uh, allowed the neighborhood to embrace it all day, and then really availab- accessibility too. I think that was important for both of us: accessibility for a kid to come in and get a sandwich and a Spanish soda, and you know, and then come in for a date night. You know, adults come in for a date night um, at night. And then you can come and get your early morning coffee and just just feel the different energy and the vibes and be able to create a home away from home. So it
2: sounds like no wonder you, um, before we were before we started rolling, we were catching up quickly, and James said that they've been working hundred hours a week, and now, and now I understand why. From the early morning coffee to dinner, so tell us a little bit about. So you're doing basically three meals a day, um, which is which is rare sort of in this day and age. You don't see a ton of three meal a day restaurants outside of like hotels. So tell us a little bit about how you're managing that and staffing it, and, and how that's going for you.
3: Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely uh hard work. You know, I have some amazing, I have amazing team. I have a, I have an amazing team. We have an amazing team. Um, it starts, my, my day starts probably around six thirty AM. AM um, and I go in there and prep the pastries for the cafe and bake them off. We open at 8 AM. And then my sous chef starts at nine and my manager, uh, Megan, our manager, Megan, um, who's phenomenal, who helps, Manage the front of the house and and creates really the atmosphere and the hospitality for our customers from morning, noon, and night. Um, and then we built we have baristas that are amazing. We have the full service uh, our dinner team, but it's a really small team right now. It's just me, my sous chef. I have a lead cook, um, Carmen, who's been working with me for a long time, and then Megan. And we have two servers at night. Um, and we we just really and we prep everything we make everything. The only thing we don't make in house is our is our bread for our bocadillo program, which I'm glad we decided not to, because I'll probably be there <laughs> at 4 a.m. in the morning. Um, <laughs> but um, ultimately, um, we just it's we created a, a menu that that's not too difficult. We really kept it tight, but we and we kept we kept it within the concept to allow us to be able to cross utilize ingredients. Um, So we, and so we, we have coffee. People can actually walk in at dinner and get a cup of coffee, you know, and that's where like we're busy. Like we were on Friday where we had people sitting by the bathrooms because we just so busy. We had make tape. We had to make table space for people, but you can't walk in and get coffee then, but at dinner service, but we, we just created a space that people can come and really enjoy all day long. Um, But it, 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 I have a hardworking team right now. We're going to continue to build it, build that team. Um, It hasn't been easy, but we have a good core, I would say.
1: Tell us a little bit about the decision to do that, because Jenny's right. I think that um, in recent years, people have changed the way, you know, when we first came to New York, when I first came to New York almost 20 years ago, it was the rents were so exorbitantly high that you had to try and basically be open 24 hours to make anything work. But things have changed somehow to where people can be a little more selective about the time that they're open and such as that. Was Was it always part of the Bocadillo market plan to be accessible all day long? Is it something that that's imperative as part of your business plan? Tell us about the decision to do that and if it's going to stay that way.
4: Yeah, so... Being accessible pretty much um, morning, afternoon, and night was a part of the Deal Market strategy from the beginning. Um, I think that became really clear once we landed on um, the neighborhood that we chose, um, which was Lincoln Park. Um, the demographics are just such that there is an audience to cater to um, during those moments of the day, um, during all moments of the day, I should say. Um I think, of course, as with any business, as we you know stay open and we see you know what hours are the busiest or what are the most active, what are people responding to in terms of cuisine, we could always make adjustments there. Um, but where we decided to um, kind of limit ourselves or just make sure that we were setting some sort of boundary and what we would do during those hours is on the menu side, so we're able to control like the pace of the kitchen. Um, as well as the service aspect as front as much as possible. Um, and then we can reevaluate, you know, a few months from now, a year from now or um, whenever, what if, if, and when we do change the hours.
2: And so tell us also a little bit about, cause it's Boca Dia market. So tell us a little bit about the market side of the business. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're a all day market. Um, so in the morning, starting at 8 a.m., we can start selling wine, spices, olive oil, vinegar, um, pretty much everything in the market. We almost kind of cross utilize in the back of the house. So it's a way of being able to sell, like we make romesco sauce in the back of the house for our, which is a Spanish mother sauce for our dish, but we sell a romesco sauce that we, that we import from Spain in the market. We, we, we use a harissa paste that we love, that I love a lot, that comes from Seattle. It's one of the only like, ingredients that's not from Spain, um, but that has influence from Spain and from North Africa, so it has a lot of inspiration from that region. Um, we use it in the back of the house to marinate our lamb and make our tuna tartare dressing um, and then we sell it in the front, we sell it in the market. So people come there and they say, Hey, what can we do with this? What can we do with this smoked olive oil? What can we do with this salt? What can we do with this paella rice? You know, obviously some people know what they want to do when they walk in. Um, and a lot of people have been coming in and buying gifts or they have a special, uh, menu they want to create, whether they have they they buy ham on Serrano or, or Lomo out of, the, out, of, out of the store case and being able to take that home and make a charcuterie board and they buy like artichokes and asparagus that we that we get from Spain and people just create their own experience at home um, and then they're able to come and experience it in, Boca, in the actual cafe and the restaurant and in the sandwich program, the Boca Dio program. So...
2: It's interesting because this obviously, like with the pandemic, we've seen a lot of people pivot into this model, right? Where they've like started selling their sauces and the things that, you know, they use the ingredients, but it sounds like, was this part of the business plan from the beginning or is this something that was, you was the market portion something that was added because of what's happened over the past year and a half with COVID?
4: Yeah. So I will say that, you know, we started talking about it right in the beginning. Um, it was... Perfect timing is probably a horrible phrase to use that time of <laughs> year for it to become something that was almost ubiquitous across other restaurants in the industry. Um, but I could say we kind of looked at it from a storytelling perspective. And so, you know, for us, we fell in love with the ingredients first. Um, you know, we. you know, just knowing some of those connections, like, why are we familiar with this particular food or the way this is prepared, but we don't call it this. And it was because the food that we were raised on um, from the Carolinas, you know, had some similarities. And so it kind of started with those ingredients. And I think that's the way, like, to be honest, I feel like the market and it's full is not in its fullest expression yet. Um, but the way we envision it is being able to like have customers in and walk them through some of the same stories that we want to tell in our food.
1: I know you guys have only been open for a couple of months, but can you see and and sort of what's your intention of your customer are they um, do you feel like it's people coming in? to have coffee and have a meal and then they pick up some things from the market. Or are they two different customers? Is it someone coming into the market to buy rice and then grabs a sandwich and adds onto their check or have, have you seen any trends yet?
3: Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think they're almost all the same folks. A um, uh, one good example, this guy came in and bought paella rice for his uh, aunt and, and he, he put her on zoom and, and she said, how much po- rice do I need to make paella for 30 people? And <laughs> 30 people. and, uh, and then she wanted to buy chorizo. We had the Spanish chorizo. And, and, and they really appreciated that we took the time, that I came out of the kitchen. Megan, our manager, took the time to come grab me and really speak to him and teach him about what they needed to take home the create experience for their family. Um, that, that that's an
1: ambitious he, meal paying for 30 yes. people. <laughs> yeah, that
3: that that he took that rice home and to his aunt and came back with three of his friends um for dinner um the same time, like an hour later. And they said and so it's, it's pretty fun to see that um that kind of experience. But he loved the fact that I was able to like make that connection with him and his aunt and show him great hospitality, Megan showed him great hospitality, selling them wine and rice and introducing us. And And then he came back with three of his friends that just flew in from like a different state and they were just blown away. Um, and uh, yeah, that was that was one thing, but I, I think they're almost the same customer base for the most part. Obviously it's a different price point at night and dinner. Um, so folks do come there. We had a young lady have a birthday, celebrate a birthday there. Um, she always comes in and kind of lounges in our patio for hours at a time. She'll get coffee and then she'll get a bocadillo and then she'll read her book and then she'll take a nap. <laughs> and, she, you know, <laughs> and, and she came there, she had a, she went to the grateful grateful dead concert or one of those concerts the night before. And she wanted to celebrate her birthday with Bocadillo market. Her friend got us to sign her, her birthday card Aww. and, and they just hung out there all day and they just had such a great time. Um, We've had people celebrate their 50th anniversary already at our restaurant, um, which was like amazing. I was like, I wanted to hug them, you know, and Aww.
4: you know,
3: um, their 50th wedding anniversary is like a that's a big deal. Um, so we've had people celebrate life moments already in our concept, whether it's coffee, bocadillos, or dinner. Mm-hmm.
2: So tell us a little bit, because I know this space um, took a bit to find, and it sounds like the neighborhood has been really integral and sort of informing the concept and making it this all-day space where somebody can take a nap after they've had their coffee and their book. book to you. Um, so tell us a little bit about the journey, actually, finding the space and, and how you landed on that one.
3: Um, uh we, 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 we've been searched. We, we, we searched for a while.
4: It's a long one. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we,
3: we also had a good community around us too. Um, I, I always persevere. Jessica's is a person that we, we never give up, but it's times where she's like, is this really going to happen? Um, and, and, but we had, we were strong, we were strong. We kept pushing, you know, and and we had just like I said, we had a good community that even during the pandemic, like our family supported us. Um, we have friends that we pretty much that our family now here in Chicago that have supported us. Um, but, at, you yeah. know.
4: Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I, I think. um you know, where some of this is coming from is that it was a long one for us and one where it's already filled with, uh, I think, a level of uncertainty for everyone that's looking for a space, um, unless they have like an abundance of money and there's a lot of opportunity available in their particular area. I think for us, we had to be selective and really think through like what the opportunity was. And it was our first time. And so we learned a lot in the process, Um, you know, figuring out what certain things meant, um, just even on an ROI um, and knowing what was beneficial to us um, or just beneficial to the landlord or how can we negotiate in a way that's mutually beneficial for us. Um, Like that was something that we all had to take on. And during a period of time where I think there was a level of uncertainty about how restaurants with fair yeah. and, and Ryan, you know, going into not just 2021, but really, you know, the middle on end of 2020, which is, you know, we started this journey at the beginning of 2020. So I think it was just a lot of, it was a roller coaster yeah. for us. Um, and so by the time, like, I have to be honest, by the time we found this space in Lincoln Park, you know, I was almost checked out Um, and, you know, James was gung ho and like, you know, going forward and showing me pictures, but like for me, until I saw that lease signed on the dotted line, um, I, I was, we just had so many hopefuls at that point (laughs) that, um, it was almost too good to be true.
3: Yeah. 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 I think, um, yeah, that's definitely the journey. Um, we, we, we went through a lot Um, just, just learning with my, our broker, our, our team that we've kind of helped us kind of get to this point. And then we, we learned a lot together, like, you know, with, you know, we were looking at spaces and I think we were getting overlooked. And then eventually my broker was like, you guys have a great business plan, but you guys need to create a pitch deck because the landlords don't want to read, you know, they want to see who you are in a profile, like in an Instagram photo, you know, and. And so Jessica, in like 24 hours, you know, he was like, I need it in like, I don't know, we, he was, she did it in like 24 hours. She created a pitch deck that really represented who we were and showed who we were and showed kind of what direction we wanted to go in. And that really helped kind of push things forward. But it still we were it was still really slow at that point um we tell we me were, the
1: t- tell me the like the difference between the long format business plan on the pitch deck. did you go from like 30 pages to like one single screenshot with like little bullet points I, I think it's a good um, point that
2: yeah, makes no a lot of sense I, yeah it's so true it's like people want like sound bites that they can see
4: on like an instagram tell player, me so. tell me what
1: you did jessica to, to to wrap it all up and and make it
4: appealing yeah i think so English major and then I work in comms so I'm used to <laughs> using just a lot of words to explain really simple things and so um you know it was it you know it was about taking I don't know how many pages uh, the the
3: it, it wasn't even close to 30 it was like maybe six or ten but
4: no no the pitch deck but the the, the actual the business three. plan was maybe around like 30 or you know it was 35 pages or so down to that pitch deck that was only about 10 pages that just really said what the concept is, (laughs) um, who we are, um, what we're going to offer, and, you know, the people that we're looking to actually serve in this process and why a particular neighborhood or space is amenable to that. Um, and I, I think it helped us to focus a little bit more too. The business plan ended up being useful. You know, when we talk about um, like thinking through financing or talking with investors or just figuring those things out, it helped for that. But as an intro to landlords um, who don't have the time or the will <laughs> to read something that long, It just, you know, it, I mean, it wasn't quite a picture. It wasn't, you know, one slide, but it did put it in a nice, like pretty picture for everyone to kind of have a quick look and then be able to immediately react to, and then we could build on it with more questions. And, um, I'm really glad that, you know, we were able to be receptive to that feedback and respond really quickly. Um, I think in this process, you kind of don't know who to listen to sometimes, (laughs) um, And I think in this case, to me, it was just, you know, such sharp feedback, like this is great, you know, this is going to be a good business, but you need to tell that and, you know, to use like an old Twitter speak, I don't even use Twitter anymore, so I don't know how many characters it is now, but like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, formally 120 characters, like, can you tell your story?
2: Mm -hmm.
4: And I I mean, I think that's good for our list. That's good feedback
2: for our listeners is like, it's great to have your long form business plan to you know, have yourself organized, have all your financials and duck in a row, but people want to see the, they want to see the cliff notes and the Instagram carousel version on your, uh, on your pitch deck.
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also, it's good practice. I think if you can't get your business concept across 60 in a, ten a page yeah. or, or 60 seconds or whatever, or 120 characters, whatever it is, then, then you've got a, a bigger problem, <laughs> right? Right. Um, yeah. you mentioned that the, while it didn't necessarily get used by the landlords, the business plan was helpful. Tell us, because we don't talk to a lot of people after they've been opened, tell us what you're correct about in your assumptions and where you may have had some misses. And we'll, we'll talk more about financing after this. So if, if you have anything other than financing things, tell us Tell us how the business plan was was right and wrong.
3: I think just, this- I think we were able to utilize it. It really kind of helped us really narrow down the neighborhoods we were looking at. I think that was one of the bigger parts and then being able to figure out what our demographics was, was really important. Um, And then also um, allowing us to really share our story um, in a lot of ways. Um, But I, I think it really helped us with the demographics, the concept, and really kind of, Tighten it up so we can actually find the right space. But the and it the business plan didn't help us get this deal done. We had to really sell ourselves and really be able to like find the right landlord that was going to give us that opportunity.
4: And I, I think what you're asking though, maybe around just like, you know, we may put all this effort into plotting exactly what's in the business plan. And I think most people find out after opening that some of that doesn't necessarily always carry through is that what you're asking
1: sure yeah yeah of course like what there were things that you didn't need or or um or vice versa that they were they were missing yeah
4: so i think yeah and james is touching on that it's helped us continue to maintain focus i don't know if Like only two months in, if we can like really say if there's some things that haven't panned out yet, um, I don't think we're noticing like those start trends as of yet. Um, I think the only thing that, you know, I call out between like our business plan and what we're doing now is definitely just um, like that marketing strategy piece of it, where I think if we had a full-time person that was able to carry every single thing through, we would have, you know, been able to start knocking, you know, that stuff out of the park. Um, But we don't only because, (laughs) you know, I have my full time. And so those are the only things that I have not seen come to fruition from our business plan. Um, And that I think in the next four to six months or so, we'll be telling on, you know, how those things help build relationships in addition to the food and the staff, Um, I think another thing to um, just trying to answer a question, like as I talk is um, I think we took a lot of time to think through like the values of the business that was really important for us. And that's been a guiding, like a guidepost, you know, even just two months in. Um, one on the people that we end up hiring um, and then two, like how we're trying to build some systems in. I think, you know, we're still working towards those things, like creating a really sound handbook and, and things like that, that just help reinforce those messages. But um, it's not necessarily a direct answer. It's just that I feel like we're still haven't been open long enough <laughs> to yeah. see like what if it's it's too soon to
2: tell. Yeah. <laughs> too soon to tell. I do want to, you, you, you all did have sort of an interesting way that, um, or piece to how you finance the business too. Um, and I believe you used Mainvest. Can you tell us a little bit about how you all, I, I know there's like several sources of they're piecing it together, getting um, funding from different places. But tell us a little bit about how you funded the business. And I, I am interested to hear more about your experience with Mainvest. If you want to tell our listeners about that as well.
3: Yeah. We, well, first of all, definitely our we had a, a we invested a good so a good amount of our own capital um, that helped us kind of secure uh, an SBA loan um, after like building a a a, mil, a million business financial projections for uh-huh. six different spaces, <laughs> um, six different locations. Um, but we we were able to secure an SBA loan and put a good amount of capital onto that. But we also have a few investors that really just wanted to see us successful. They're not equity investors currently, um, but they were able to really just in the middle of the pandemic, they invested, you know, $30,000, which is not chump change. Um, and they don't even like call us and ask us for anything. They actually come there and spend money. Um, and then we were able to uh, main invest contacted us um, maybe a month or a few weeks after being open and, they kind of introduced themselves and, and Jessica and I were always looking at a way to, to get a Kickstarter or find a way to raise more capital to, to just take care of some uh, startup capital or take care of some, to some buffer money because um, you, you know, cash flow, it goes fast. <laughs> um, we, we were really blessed that we are doing really well and we're very successful. We're able to pay bills and we're able to take care of our team and pay our staff really well. Um, it's a blessing, <laughs> um, but we were able to raise money um, from Main Invest so far, and within the last month or two, I think we raised around twenty-two thousand dollars, and we were able to pull out uh, maybe two or three weeks ago, at least a fifty percent of that, or maybe a little bit more, and we were able to pay off some of our vendors, um, pay off some of the we had to pay for a patio license and a and continue paying for a liquor license after we paid for a liquor license, and you know, so it it, it really helped. All these fundings and all these resources really help build us to get to this point. Um, because it's a restaurant always needs more capital. We can be busy,
1: but you always need more capital to keep the, the ball rolling. So tell us about what 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 um, I, I personally don't know anything about Mainvest. This is the first time I'm hearing about it. Tell us how it how it works, how it's different from a Kickstarter, say are you are you offering up, you know, a certain number of sandwiches for an investment. How, How's it work?
3: Yeah. So Main Invest is pretty cool because Jessica and I uh it was really important for us to find the right platform. Um so they they only take they take six percent of the final raise. Um they give you, they let you, they tell you to put a minimum raise, um like a middle raise and a max raise. Um, and then the the folks that invest, they get. Per, they get a percentage of interest back on the money they invest and they can invest a minimum of a hundred dollars. So they invest a uh, hundred dollars, they will get that hundred dollars back plus
1: interest over a long period of time. Got it. And, what's and that interest is paid out by Mainvest, or You guys pay that separate from the 6% that goes to Mainvest.
3: Well, the 6% goes to main invest. Uh,
1: right. And then the investment
3: part the interest goes back, you know, over time back to the customer, whoever invests, Um, It just allows family, friends, people that want to believe in you that necessarily don't want to take away from the business. They just want to add to the success of the business.
4: So
2: it's based on revenue. It's based on revenue. Okay, right. And then, and you have, it looks like, I'm just looking at the page. So you have until 2028 to pay people back.
4: Yeah, which puts a good, you know, time limit, limit for us to increase business and make sure that we're driving in um, like the sales that we need to, to make sure that we are, you know, able to pay um, the money back with interest, but it doesn't require us to pay that back right away. Um, it also does. I mean, I think for me, what sold me on Mainvest vest over like a Kickstarter um, was just that we didn't have to think about, you know, these experiences right away that kind of just you know, gave away like our inventory or our food, um, which you know is beneficial to some. I think for us in the moment, it seemed quite overwhelming. Um, and in this case, we could focus on really driving success for the business. And so that we, you know, we're we're paying back investors in, I think more of a traditional way. Um and it just it just gives us that space and time to do that.
3: Mm-hmm but and, and and we have control over being able to pay them back earlier too yeah. which is kind of cool and uh, yeah they were easy to work with it was a really clean platform i i think if we had more time to invest in it ourselves we i would say at least 90% of the people that invested and maybe more 95 are all our friends and family so
4: and then we've had a couple of um, investors who just met us on the platform and what I do like about it, maybe not too dissimilar from other crowdsourcing platforms like a Kickstarter is that we're able to engage with them. So if they ask questions, we can answer them. If we want to be proactive and give any um, like statements on how we've performed, like we can do that. Um, and I think um like, I would love to be even more communicative on that platform than we are. Um, but even given like the limited amount of communication that we've had between us and investors on the platform itself, like, it's just been a really effective tool to get things across. Um, you know, we had one investor that we still don't know who that person is, but probably asked about five different questions. Um, and I appreciated it one, just because it made me think about those things too. Um, And so like for us, again, like this is our, this is our first restaurant. Um, This is our only our second month. And so I appreciate all of the learning opportunities. I appreciate learning what investors want to hear. Um, And so I almost think of MainVest as like an educational tool, um, more than just an investor tool, but it's been for us, you know, so far a really great platform to engage with. Yeah,
3: yeah. I think the biggest thing for us, though, for me especially, Jessica's more like structured. I'm kind of like I can go to my <laughs> friends and ask for $500 and they'll give it to me. So <laughs> I really wanted to just go to all, like a thousand of my friends and ask them. But it gave it a little bit more structure, a platform that was clean and that allowed people to feel safe.
1: Mm-hmm. So did you you guys need it to advertise it out, or, or did Mainvest also blast it out to their followership and how did did most of the i see that you've got like 40 plus people invested or most of those people that you did know before
3: most of the people that invested on that was family and friends Um, we do have a few investors that i that i don't recognize it could be customers but it could be folks that are just invested in restaurants or concepts on their platform um I think if we had just like I said, I think if we had more time to invest in it, like no, they did help us market it a little bit, but I think if we had more time, it would allow us to really uh, raise more. But I, I I'm we're thankful. <laughs> I think we're in a good place. Mm-hmm. So
2: no, it's, it's interesting. It's always interesting to us when we see um, people using new and different alternative platforms and congrats on getting an SBA loan because that's no small feat either, um, <laughs> especially in this industry. It's very rare that we have folks
4: on the show who say they you know they got an SBA loan. So that's awesome.
1: Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
4: I just, I want to throw in one thing in there because James didn't mention it. And I, to me, it's one thing that still shocks me to this day mm-hmm. is the amount of Lyft customers that he drove around that have come in to support the business. Um, I don't know if some of them are the investors either, but literally, I mean, for like two to three months, maybe longer, James did lift last year in the middle of the pandemic. And um, I mean, he said it best. I, he just... just
1: to to advertise the business
4: (laughs) yeah he just (laughs) I I mean so to speak I feel like that's what he was doing like you know here's my Instagram profile I mean he's had people come in that said like we weren't sure this was going to be a thing and then you know he he remembers faces and people and conversations and um you know I I think when we look at Mainvest and how we've used it, when we've looked at like some of our customers that are coming in, like word of mouth is really important. And, um, but I do think James is a big part of that word of mouth. Um, and so, I mean, play to your strengths. If I were in James shoes, I would be super formal. I would have hired like a PR agent at this point, plus this, you know, plus, and then some versus James, like, let's just do it. Um, and it's I think throughout this process, I mean, even last week, I think was the last time one of his lift writers came in. Um, I mean, it's it's steady traffic from people that he's just met along the way. Um, that's like
2: that's real guerrilla marketing. I mean, that is real. like and it's true. <laughs> and it's true it's, it's as hustle. As and I think for, and yeah, people awesome.
1: recognize the hustle and appreciate the hustle. on yeah, folks that's folks awesome. have,
3: folks have watched a journey. Actually, one of our example, uh Brooke Bale, she's the director of um uh, Goose Island Brewery, she came in on a Saturday or Friday. Our busiest service and it rained outside, so our patio customers had to come inside. And she was so amazing to be able to sit a table right next to our restrooms because we couldn't fit any more space. And I had a friend fly from Miami that sat outside in the rain and talked talked so highly of us. And But Brooke Bell, I met her driving Lyft, picked her up from the airport and and she was the direct. She's the director of operations of Goose Island Brewery, and she's amazing. She brought a friend that was in in town from out of town, um, and just loved the mill. Was a she was like, "I'm glad you're busy. I don't care where I sit at." <laughs> you know, and and I was like, "I am so sorry." She's like, "Thank you for coming here." She's like, "Thank you for coming out to see us." You know, and people will remember me, which is pretty cool. And and we've had people from Spain that I've driven around. We've had and people are just so in love with Bocadillo Market so far. It's we're just so thankful and. Uh, I mean, people love the food and the hospitality and everything that we're presenting so far, so.
2: That's awesome, guys. Um, congrats, it's no easy feat to to get to this point and um, a true testament of, of what you're putting out there. Redbird is a convergence of contemporary food, world-class cocktails, and timeless architecture. It's built inside the former rectory building of a cathedral in downtown LA. The restaurant features two unique outdoor spaces and a stunning dining room. Owners Neil Frazier and Amy Noel Fraser chose Talk to power reservations so they could sell various experiences side by side. Guests can book brunch in the courtyard, dinner in a garden, or a table in the dining room. This wasn't possible with open table, the Frasers say. Talk just knows how restaurants work. They get hospitality. To learn more about how Talk powers hospitality, go to exploretalk.com slash join. That's exploretalk, T-O-C-K dot com slash join. Should we do some
1: lightning uh, round? Yeah, let's do lightning some lightning round. round. Uh, the idea is that they're short answer questions. They don't have to be... 120 characters or less. You need to elaborate. <laughs> okay. You certainly can. There's there's no rules really, but it um, we'll start at simple. James, what's your uh, favorite menu item currently? Um,
3: I would say that's. I would say the artichoke dish is probably one of is my favorite, and the paella. But those two are my favorite. But
1: the, the artichoke dish is probably my favorite. Okay, and then uh, what is the most ordered menu item? Um, I think the artichoke. <laughs> <laughs> there you go.
2: It's not always the same. I like it's it. Not always the same. <laughs> what about you, Jessica? Do you have a different favorite menu item? Yeah, I like the tuna crudo. Tuna crudo. Keep it classic and clean. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: uh, best food cost item. Where do you make your, your highest percentage margin? Um. I would
3: say possibly Top's Rabbas. That
1: makes sense. <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, Chris. What's the PR. um what's the margin split like on mar- on the market versus the um the food menu? Um I mean based on sales, how much we're selling or based on Do you get a better margin? Do you get a better percentage of profit on the on selling a bottle of olive oil or do you get a better percentage on selling a sandwich? Uh, we get a better percentage
3: selling on retail items because we can mark it up a little bit heavier mm-hmm. right. um, because they are really special ingredients. I mean, for food items, it's hard to, it's only so much you can charge, right? We charge 15, 16, 17, 17 bucks for a sandwich. You, once you get in that $20 range, people start freaking out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know, but you're like, it's all homemade. This is good. Yeah, this man. is a whole other ball yeah. of wax. Um yep. <laughs> But yeah, and that's, what, what about, what's the best-selling market item? Um,
3: either the harissa or the smoked olive oil from Spain. Um,
4: yeah, I feel like I never see the smoked olive oil. I feel like that flies off quickly.
3: Harissa paste, smoked olive oil. And it, I like the hamon and Serrano, the Iberical ham and Lomo that we have in the case. But actually, the Spanish sodas we have from Spain. Oh, yeah. People, they... They like they're girls from like the nail salon across the street. They come get a sandwich and their 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 sodas and.
4: My dad bought a case of it.
3: Yeah. So, <laughs>
4: yeah
3: I think that's one of the more popular. It's kind of crazy to have that those options because people it's something different that we don't mm-hmm. have at normal markets in in America in general. So. Mm-hmm.
2: This is something we like to ask all of our guests. What's been the best business resource as you've gone through this journey? It
1: can be a book, a person, TV show, podcast, whatever. <laughs> um, I, I would
3: say we have a few, but Montez Sugars um, is somebody that's that's really been uh, one of our biggest supporters. He he's he he drove around with us during the pandemic when everyone it was like Chicago was shut down, looking at spaces, and he really helped us really uh, like even build a spread, helped us build a spreadsheet for my projections and our projections and. Um, and I have I watched Monday Night Football with him last night, you know, and he's been a part of the journey um, for a long time, you know, um, just really helping us, guiding us through. And I would say, obviously, Win Trust Bank, um, Liz is phenomenal. <laughs> you know, she is Liz DeBoney. She is phenomenal. She had her her daughter's wedding party at our our first event, sixty people. You would think that she a person will believe in you that much 60 people in our <laughs> first event
1: so is this the bank the that facilitated money. the spa loan yeah.
3: yeah and then we have a so. few family friend investors that invested in, in us before we even had a concept they just gave us you know money miss merlin and jim and and marco who's uh just a phenomenal resource so he'll, he'll
4: name drop everyone if you give him time to yeah.
2: him. <laughs> but, 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 just but
4: letting I, you know <laughs> yeah,
2: I, I, I do mean, we need to that. start pay, should we yeah. need to start
4: paying the oscar like speech music? I know,
2: okay. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and, and this oh, isn't a this isn't a kiss I'm, up mom I'm, oh go ahead, go I, ahead
3: babe. but I, the, the, like montez is amazing but i also want to highlight chef eric williams from virtue
1: mm-hmm.
3: um he connected us with our broker alan perales who's phenomenal as well um, chef Matthias Merges, who I worked for, um, a, tr- a Charlie Trotter alumni, he connected us with our general contractor, and then our architect and designer, Clem, Clem is, and her, her partner, Sam, are phenomenal. We wouldn't have been able to do this without them, without this community, without our family, and and yeah, we, it's, it's so many others, but those are definitely like, you know, and then I have friends that, chef friends that that were just good resources, like Tony, who owns one of my friends, Tony, who has a restaurant in the suburbs, just, I can call him and say, hey, dude, like, how do you, what kind of, how much you keep in your cash drawer, you know, do out the service, and those little things really helped out. My friend, Jonathan, who owns a restaurant in Bellingham, Washington State, these guys were running businesses and answering questions on the phone at the same time, so I couldn't thank them enough, you know, so, yeah, I got a lot of great resources, so.
2: Yeah. And you, I think that's, it's a testament to everybody. And it sounds like you've done a really good job of building a network and it's, you can never, a network is so valuable. It's something we, we touch on often in the show, but it's, it's really true for,
1: for I think also like while, this. while like funny that you have all these people that, you th- that you're that you thanking it's, it's, it is true that to open a restaurant, it takes this family, it takes this army and, and, and that's what you guys had. So, um. We're excited to see what you guys keep on going with, with next and and big congratulations to getting it open and having it packed two months in.
2: So you guys just opened. We always like to shout out opening soon announcements. Um, any other friends or neighbors or colleagues who maybe recently opened or are opening soon?
3: Um, I mean, I don't we are we we're neighbors to a restaurant called Esme from Chef Jenner you know, want to shout out, shout them out. Um, they're like maybe two blocks from our restaurant. We opened up like a week before them. Uh-huh. Um, and, um, just want to shout them out. Um, and like, yeah, I think that's, we really, I don't really know too many people opening restaurants in the pandemic. So, Margaret, Margaret. oh yeah, chef, chef Margaret. Um, she's another good friend, her and her husband, they're, they're looking for a space right now. Um, They
4: were operating out of Paliton Row, um, and that shut down at the beginning of the pandemic, but they're working fast and furiously to open up a spot. They've hosted a couple of pop-ups, and it's just a really great um, team, Um, and they've been really great supporters as well, and so I feel like they're going to be moving really quickly when they do find their space.
3: Yeah, Chef Margaret and her husband, um, they're phenomenal. They've been big supporters of us, so um, yeah, I think... There's not many plate businesses opening right now. Right. Yeah. You got a few?
2: Yeah, there's a few. Um, Sweet Briar is coming um, to New York City from Bryce Schumann is the chef there, which we're excited to see um, his return to New York. And then Zuzu's is also opening in New York City. Um, and both restaurants will nicely be outfitted in Tillit NYC, so we're excited for them and to, to see their openings. Do um, want to wrap us up, Al?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um... Tell us, guys, how our listeners find you on social.
4: Yeah, so really easy. Just go to at Boca Dio Market and you'll find us on Instagram. I'm not on TikTok yet. Um, and then um, you could find us online at www.bocadiomarket.com.
1: Cool. And in the flesh there in Lincoln Park, Chicago. So when you're visiting there from New York or wherever you are, make sure and check them out. Uh, if you want to follow what we're doing we are at we are opening soon and at till nyc thanks guys and uh we look forward to seeing what you're up to in the future
4: thank you so much thanks guys
2: opening soon is powered by simplecast thanks for listening to heritage radio network Food Radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You could also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you.